Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 17. The book of 1 Kings, chapter number 17. Let me give you my assignment uh, for this morning. My assignment this morning is to stir your faith. My assignment to mor- this morning is to, to, to really uh, uh, inspire, to motivate with God's word, to encourage, to exhort you. I may even agitate some of you. Uh, but, but I really feel like um, uh, God wants to stir someone's faith in here that is going to move you uh, to do something uh, that you perhaps have never done, to say some things you, you haven't had the courage to say, and, and to do some things that, that maybe you were apprehensive or even fearful to do. I think Uh, By the end of this message, uh, you should be moving closer to believing what God is saying about you. If that's the message that you want to hear this weekend, amen. If it's not the message you want to hear this weekend, deal with it. Okay? You can sneak to the restroom and just keep going. I want to read you a few verses in 1 Kings chapter number 17, uh, starting at the 8th verse. I'll go back and and give you some contextualization to the first seven verses uh, before we move on uh, to really just hear what God has to say today. Reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible, here is what it says. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? She was going to get it. He called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. I just want you to imagine for a moment how you would feel in this, if somebody said this to you. Here's Elijah's response. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. What? Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family Continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is God Won't Move 
until we do. God won't move until we do. Would you bow your hands? Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, would you please help us to move? Amen. It's the end of the whole prayer. I pray quick. I'm the person you went over for a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> we will pray for nations later, but we will eat this turkey now. First Kings is one of my favorite books. Elijah is uh, one of the most compelling people in the entire Bible to me, outside uh, of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching the person of Christ. I've preached Elijah over the last 22 years more than any other person in the Bible outside of Jesus. There's not much on him. We don't understand his upbringing. We don't know his parents. But he just explodes on the scene in 1 Kings chapter number 17, Elijah from Tishbe. We have this guy that just comes on the scene fully grown, speaking and declaring, correcting Israel by saying, it's not going to rain again until I say so. He's affected by this prophetic word himself. There is a drought that hits the land. He is not exempt from the consequences of the judgment that's been placed on Israel, but God knows how to miraculously provide for his people even in the middle of a drought. Elijah is uh, 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 supernaturally provided for uh, by the brook Corinth, where he goes down and uh, he's sustained by the water there, but something miraculous happens twice a day to Elijah. Ravens bring him meat and bread. I don't know if you've ever read this really thought about it, but it is actually a really miraculous thing that he is fed supernaturally by birds twice a day. The meat, I completely understand. Ravens are carnivorous animals, and, and, and they are picking on the dead flesh of many animals that are dying because of this drought. That makes complete sense to me. Doesn't make sense to me that they're picking meat but not swallowing it, but flying it to a man to make sure he has something to eat. The meat, I understand. It's the bread that's the problem. Where are they getting bread? No Strong's Concordance, no Logos app has ever given me why there is bread and where these birds are getting it from. But it's supernatural provision from God. And Elijah is sustained there. He's sustained there until one day the brook begins to dry he gets a word from God that seems completely uh, 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 out of context. He, he, he says, hey, listen, I have the next assignment for you. I have the next place that I want you to go. I want you to go to Zarephath. There is a widow there that you're going to find gathering sticks, and I've, I've asked her, and I'm going to put it on her to provide for you for this next season that you're going into. I don't know about you, but I would have been asking questions to God during this time because uh, why didn't you tell me to go to any other tribe of Israel? Why didn't you tell me to go to people that I understand? You're telling me to go to a Gentile 
territory, and not just any Gentile territory. This is the hometown of Jezebel. Why would you ask me to go there? But he goes there. And sure enough, he finds a widow who's gathering sticks. And as she's gathering these sticks, Elijah, a stranger that's coming into this territory, just ask her a question that any stranger would ask coming into a territory, a sojourner that is passing through. Could you get me some water? Now it's the middle of a drought. I got questions, but never mind. Could you get me a cup of water? And as she's, as she's gathering her sticks, she's like, okay, stranger, I'll go get you some water. We're hospitable to people that travel through our town. I'll be hospitable to you. I'll go get you some water. With her stick, she turns around and starts walking towards her house. And while she has her back turned walking toward her house, he then says, and while you're at it, get me a piece of bread too. And she snaps. Here's how I know she snaps. Because of the first two words that came out of her mouth. This is how I know she snaps. When your first words to somebody is, I swear, <laughs> that means you have snapped. Anybody in here ever had somebody get on their second to last nerve? Anybody? Second to last. Not the last, but the second to last nerve. The second to last nerve still has grace in it. The second to last nerve still has Jesus in, and his heart for people in it. But there's something about when somebody transcends that second to last nerve to the last nerve that things change quick. And most times you don't know that they're on the second to last nerve and graduate to the last nerve until your entire tone changes. Anybody ever had this experience with their kids? Second to last nerve, you're like, no, honey, no, 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 no. I told you to wash those dishes now. Second to last nerve. You leave for 10 minutes, come back, the dishes are not done, and you're like, I swear, I will kill you. Me and your father will make another you. In Jesus' name. I mean, it is just a... She turns around. I swear, by the Lord your God, I don't have any bread in there. I woke up this morning, I came out here to gather sticks to make the last meal I'm ever going to eat. And then me and my son are prepared to die. I want you to think about this woman's state of mind right now. As she woke up in the morning, saying to herself, this is the beginning of the end. And I'm going to get these sticks and I'm going to make the last meal that I have based on what's in my inventory. And me and my son are going to die. I want you to understand how sad this statement is because this is not the type of death that's going to happen instantly. It's the type of death it's going to take time. 
They're not going to eat this last meal and die that night. They're going to wake up the next day. Stomachs growling. And her son's going to look into her eyes and say, Mommy, I'm hungry. And she's going to have to look back at her son and say, we have nothing else to eat. It's not going to take hours. It's going to take days. This is the mindset of this woman when Elijah asked for bread. So I completely understand why she snapped. And you would think that Elijah would have the emotional IQ to be able to respond based on this woman's state of mind. But no. His next words lack empathy to me. They, 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 they lack the type of nurturing that, that most pastors would have, but Elijah's not a pastor. He's a prophet. He just told a whole nation, no more water for you. <laughs> so when this woman says, we're going to eat this last meal and die, here's his response. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> Why are you even worried about that? The God that I serve? He's a real God. Water. <laughs> it's not in my narrative right now. We're in a drought. <laughs> Ten people got it. <laughs> he says, you don't have to worry about that. Do exactly what you said you were going to do. But just make mine first. <laughs> what, where do they do that at? Who does this? Make mine first. And then with the little you have left, make me a big old cake. Since you and your son are gonna die anyway, you don't care. Just whatever you have left, make something for you and your son. Because here's what the Lord, my God, says there will always be flour and there will always be oil as long as this drought is going on. And, and I don't know what was going through the woman's mind at this point. She, she doesn't utter a word, but, but Scripture says she, she doesn't. I don't know if what was going through her mind was, well, I mean, we're going to die anyway. Maybe this guy wants to die with us. I don't have anything else to lose. Let me just do it. It's amazing about this scenario and this story is that there is faith that's being applied in every single aspect of this story. And so I have three points based on the faith that's being applied that I want you to write down. And here's how I want you to preface these points. Faith requires us to, here's point number one, move somewhere crazy. Faith requires us to move somewhere crazy. Anybody beside me ever had God ask you to move somewhere crazy? Geographically, relationally, economically, he's telling you to move somewhere crazy. 
It's funny, you all just came out of a series on pioneers, and, and, and Prez is reading uh, 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 Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 1, which is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, because that person, Abram, steps out on faith, and he does something that is absolutely crazy. He leaves his, his geographical location, his cultural location, his relational location off of a word from God. He says, just move. But, but here's the thing that, that often hinders us from moving when God tells us to move. We start liking the location we're presently in. Here's what's amazing. Can you imagine being miraculously sustained by birds twice a day, a brook of fresh water coming, and all of a sudden you're going, God, this is a, I am in a holy place. Birds bring me stuff to eat. Water is flowing. I'm being supernaturally sustained. And then one day God says, okay, that's enough of this season. I'm ready to move you somewhere else. And you're like, no! Anybody beside me ever called God the devil? Be honest. You heard a word and you were like, mm-mm, that's Satan right there. <laughs> Jesus, you told me to be here. Listen, never make a permanent situation something God calls temporary. Many times we don't want to move because we don't have all the answers. And God's going, you're not getting the answers until you move. As it was with Abram when he's told to move, God doesn't talk to him about what's next until he leave, he, until he decided to leave what was now. Where is God telling you to move? He might be telling you to move somewhere spiritually that you've never been before, relationally, in a way that you've never been before. In your location, something, you, 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 you're, you're so, I like this spot. And God's going, no, 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 I want you to move. But that sounds crazy. That means it's God. If it makes sense to you, that means you can do it in your strength. I'm going to save up the money, honey, 36 months. I'm going to stack up the money. I'm going to make the move. Our house appreciate by this much. We can get this much when we sell it. And then we're going to move. And God's like, you're so cute now. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. We don't have it all together yet. He's like, exactly. That's how I'm going to get the glory. Because you don't have it together. I'll make it work together for your good. Faith requires us to move somewhere. Crazy. Point number two, please write this down. Faith requires us to say something crazy. Let me tell you who says something crazy. Elijah says something crazy. Make mine first. It's crazy and it's a little rude. Make Mine first. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Juliet, for 19 years. I've known her for 20. Uh, and uh, our, our, our relationship is, is something that I reflect upon often because uh, I got the most beautiful woman breathing on the planet literally against all odds. 
When I met my wife, I didn't have a job or a car. The dates that we went on, she drove me to those dates. The night that I proposed to her, she actually drove me to the location. She didn't know she was going to be proposed to, but I'm like, this looks good. And the ring that I put on her finger is a miraculous story in itself because I decided to say something crazy. Here's what I decided to say. Lord, uh, I want to marry this girl, but I don't have a job. And I don't have a car. But I don't want to put a promise ring on her finger. I don't want to use string. That's bootleg. I want a diamond. I'm not messing with anybody else's story, okay? Just telling you mine. I want a diamond on the girl's finger. So I made this statement. God, you got to help me. And, and, I, and I'm going to just try something. So I had my friend, because I don't have a car, had my friend drive me to a mall. And I walked into a Zales. And I walked in and I said, I need to see a Marquise diamond. My wife had told me that uh, she, she liked these particular diamonds in, in a conversation months earlier, note to self. And I walk into the Zales and I'm like, I really need to look at uh, these diamonds. And the guy was like, oh, absolutely. So he starts bringing the diamonds and showing, giving me a loop to look at the clarity. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking for. It's just mm, interesting. And he says, uh, so, so do you want to get this? And I was like, absolutely, yeah, I, I want to get it. And he hands me the application to fill out. And uh, so I fill it out, as honest as I can. My name, my address, uh, date of birth. Um, and then the employment section, empty. I fill out all the stuff, and I handed it back to him. And he looked at it. He's like, hey, man, you, you, you forgot to put the job information on there. And I was like, yeah, um, I didn't actually forget <laughs> to put the job information there. I don't, I don't have one. And he went like this. And he walked into the back. And I'm standing there. I'm going, he's calling security. He's, <laughs> I'm certain he's calling security. He comes back about five to seven minutes later. He had cleaned the diamond, polished it up, put it in the ring box, all the information about the diamond and all of the information about payments. He walks back up to me, puts it all in a bag, grabs it by the two little strings with his index finger and his thumb and he goes, I've seen the look that you have in your eyes before. You're in love. He said, whenever you get a job, start making the payments on this ring. But go get your girl. No money down, no nothing. Now, 
just so you have the full context of the story, I did pay the ring off when I got a job, and I retired my wife from her job five years later. She's never worked in a secular environment since. She's always had her own businesses. But listen, I said something crazy. I wonder how many times we have things in our heart that never come out of our mouth because they sound crazy to us. Because we've never heard anybody say it. We don't have a context to it. But I'm believing that God wants somebody in this room to start opening up your mouth and speaking by faith the things that you want to see done. There's generational curses that need to be destroyed in your family, and he's waiting on you to open up your mouth and say it. There's generational blessings that are going to be established because you open up your mouth and say so. There's businesses that's going to be started because you open up your mouth and say so. There's promotions that are going to be had because you open up your mouth and say so. Make mine first. I'm opening up the business. This marriage will be blessed. My body will be healed. My children will be saved. Say it. Sounds crazy. Your son's rogue. Say something crazy. That boy's blessed. No, he's not. That boy is pure. No, he ain't. That boy is a man of God. No, he's not. Say it. Speak life, not death. Say something. And point number three, please write this down. Faith requires us to do something crazy. And the person that did something crazy in this narrative is the widow of Zarephath. And let me tell you why what she did is so amazing. Because she didn't even believe in Elisha's God. She had already declared the first time he said something, listen, I swear on the Lord your God. It's not my God. And then he says, listen, let me tell you what my God said. You're going to always have something. And she's like, I might as well give it a shot. Listen, sometimes God puts us in situations where we don't have an alternative except to apply some faith. He'll make things so uncomfortable. You start saying, you know what? I think I'm going to have to do something. You're like, you know what? Hey, everything's fine right now. Then you lose your job. You're like, by faith in Jesus' name. <laughs> Breakthrough is coming. You're like, yeah, no duh. You have to say it now. <laughs> she's in a situation where she's just like, I might as well give it a shot. And listen, it worked. And she didn't find out it worked that day. She found out the next day when she went back to the pot and there was flour, when she went back to the pot and there was oil, she found out the day after that, she went back again and she knew this should have been exhausted by now. And the fact that there's still something in here means that maybe this guy is telling the truth. I'll tell you what happens. Later on, if you go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, her son gets sick and he winds up dying. She comes back to... Uh, the prophet, and she's like, really? <laughs> I let you in, I feed you, and this is what happens? Elijah takes this boy, the, this lifeless boy, up to his room, begins to pray over him. He comes back to life. She brings him back. He brings her son back downstairs alive, and she says something that's just amazing to me. Jesus even talks about it in the New Testament. 
Now I believe that the word in your mouth is true. And that your God is real. Let me tell you something. I'm sure that many of you all have a great relationship with God. I'm sure many of you feel like you have an understanding of God that, that you're very, very comfortable with. But here's what I'm telling you today. There's something else that he wants to show you about himself, his character, his provision, his grace that will not be found on this level of faith that you're on right now. He's ready for you to cross that line of comfort and learn something new about him by applying your faith in areas that you haven't exercised yet. Let me tell you something. There are people in this room just like me that believe God in certain areas of their life because you've seen such a, a consistent empirical data of, uh, of, of consistency and, and, and dependability that you're just like, I don't even, I, listen, I just trust God in this area. I don't even pray about that anymore. Finances, <laughs> I don't even pray about that anymore. I just, I, I just believe God. I, I haven't prayed about money in years. God's going, I'm glad that you trust me in that area, but you, don't, you haven't trusted me in this area ever. And it might have to do with a space of inner healing or unforgiveness or holding a grudge. And he's going, I want that to come up to the same level as you have in finances. You're going, God, I... I don't even know how to get there. And he's going, well, 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 move closer to me. Move somewhere crazy. And I'll prove it to you. Say something crazy. I will prove it to you. Do something crazy. And I'll prove it to you. Let me, let me tell you the craziest thing I've done in the last three years. It was to plant a church. Why? I live in the Bible Belt. There are 5,000 churches in the DFW Metroplex. Are you sure, Lord, you need another one? You need 5,001 churches? And not only do we go plant a church, we plant a church nine minutes from the church that we were sent from. Gateway Church is like, we're sending Preston a thousand miles away. Bye, Preston. We're sending Tim right over there. I mean, you can, on a clear day, you could probably look at it. If the elevation is right, there he is right there. You can see the top of the roof of the, of the building. What? The, what? We move nine minutes away, and we plant a church on the other side of DFW Airport in an area, a zip code that five years ago was the most racially diverse zip code in the United States of America. Queens, New York was number two. No ethnicity over 25%. You have never seen a community swimming pool like this one. Germans in the pool, Koreans in the pool, African-Americans in the pool, Caucasians in the pool, Southeast Asians in the pool, Hispanics in the pool. Everybody was in the pool, except on Sundays, where every church in that same zip code was either predominantly white, predominantly black, predominantly Asian, or predominantly Hispanic. And God says, I want you to move somewhere crazy, right down the street. I want you to say something crazy. This will be a diverse church. And I want you to do something crazy. Open it up. 
and let me prove my point. And in three years, God has miraculously proved his point. He blessed us with our own building in 13 months. A 40,000 square foot building that seats about 700 people on six acres in 13 months. That's no church planters narrative. And we opened up this church in one of the most segregated places on Sunday morning. And we have every ethnicity represented in our church that's in that community. And God's having a bunch of fun right now. Listen to me. I was comfortable at Gateway. The Ravens brought me meat and bread on the 15th and on the end of the month. <laughs> Automatic deposited into my account. I love those birds. And God says, I want you to move from this area of comfort to a place that I'm going to show you because I have a point that I want to prove right on the other side of the airport. It seemed absolutely crazy, but I guarantee you, I now understand something about God that I never would have known had I stayed where I was. God will not move until we do. So move somewhere crazy. Say something crazy. Do something crazy. Because that's how pioneers are made. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.